The Wiz Kids had won it, Bobby Thompson had done it, and Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. All right, everybody, welcome on back to Baseball History 101. As always, I am Patrick DeBault, and I am joined by the phenomenal Matthew Carter. Hello. On today's episode, we're going to talk about uh, one of my favorite players to watch growing up. I'm sure same for Matthew, uh, Mr. Tony Gwynn. Before we get to that, um, we're going to do a little follow-up on our last episode about people who are suspended. Um, Matt Harvey, 60 games for supplying drugs to other players. Yeah. Um, in my opinion, I think he should have gotten a lot more since the it came from a thing that resulted in death. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that, Matt? I think, yeah, I think he should have been a little bit more. Maybe not 324 games like Mr. Bauer, but 60 games seems a little light. And all honesty, Harvey's washed up anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's just really shocking. To me, it was really shocking that he was tied up into this with Tyler Staggs. Tyler Skaggs' death back in 2019. And it was just... Dude, the fact that their um, trainer was even linked into that, man, we could all, we could almost do a whole episode on that. Yeah, that, that it's baseball history. We could talk about it. But it's just, it's messed up, man. It's messed up. You know... Uh, he, he admitted providing Skaggs with oxycodone pills when he played for the Angels in 2019. That's just... What are y'all doing, man? It's just... Don't do drugs. That's back when the Angels were good, too. Like, yeah. This. You know, and I remember, you know, Tim Meade, who was the former president of the Baseball Hall of Fame, his first year was 2019. And, of course, this happened during the baseball season. And, you know, Tim was – I wasn't there in the room, but from what I've heard from other people who were there, seeing, like my former intern seeing Tim, he was uh, – he seemed visibly upset by it or at least very deeply saddened because, you know, he worked for the Angels before he came to the Hall of Fame and he knew Tyler. Like he didn't want to see his friends go down that way. Yeah, it was – it hit Tim very hard. And so, you know. And it hit everybody in the baseball community hard. I mean, I didn't know, I'll be honest, guys, I didn't know much about Tyler Skaggs until he died, which is sad, but, you know, he, he, he was above average relief pitcher, you know, yeah. man, and he was getting a little edge. Yeah, it seemed like he had. To keep himself relevant. Right, it seemed like he had things going for him at the time of his death. And, you know, just the whole story is just sad. I was sad. I could. I mean, I was very sad to hear about him in 2019, even though I didn't know who he was. 
Well, nobody wants to see a ball player they watch on TV night pass away, or let alone even one of their friends. You know. You know, it's just it's really sad. Harvey shouldn't have done it. He should have stayed. You know, but he he's admitted that he was addicted to drugs. Not only that, like oxycodone, like cocaine too. You know, and just ugh. But in my opinion, I think sixty games is not enough when you got a guy that has been. Was it three hundred and sixty-four days suspension? Three hundred sixty-four games suspension. Three hundred twenty-four. Yeah. Yeah. Two seasons to Bauer, and you contributed to a guy's death, and you get sixty. I just don't. I think Rob Manfred once again, and I'm not sure if Manfred made this decision, if his, if Tory and the Rules Committee made the decision, or who made the decision, but something's not right here. Yeah, Manfred signed off on it. There's. Definitely, his signature is on the bottom of the paperwork. Yeah, but sixty games for something that killed a man, That's compared a- to two full seasons for somebody who had rough sex that was released text messages and gave her what she was asking for. Yeah, you know, like yeah, I I just don't see how that's just or fair. Yeah, and um. Is there things Trevor Bauer should have done to protect himself? 100% because you're an athlete at that level. Yeah. And I was never a big leaguer, but I played competitive league ball, played a little brief semi-pro ball. Like, there are certain things you do, you don't get trapped. Right, yeah. So Trevor Bauer, he's on the, he's on the hook for that on his own, right? Yeah. But these these penalties the MLB is hanging out, they just don't equal up to what they should be. No. It's just something's off. I don't know. I mean, and of course, I'm sure Bauer said something about this, about Harvey's suspension. He had a tweet about today, and he pretty much said it's trash that I'm getting this much, and this guy that contributed, to, and I'm not saying verbatim, but he pretty much said, um, it's either today or yesterday or today. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting out two years while this guy who helped, helped facilitate a man's death is getting 60 games. And I, I agree with Trevor. I would agree with that too. Uh, you know, just, you know, and Trevor's in his prime compared to Harvey. Yeah. Well, that's enough about that. We're yeah. going to uh, mosey into our topic for the day. It's going to be Mr. Padre. Oh, yeah. Tony Gwynn. Mr. Tony Gwynn. The best hitter to ever, in my opinion, the best pure hitter. To ever swing the lumber. Um, he was born May 9th, 1960. He passed away in June 16th of 2014 from uh, cancer from the dips. Yeah, can't do that. But um, he was a right fielder. He played 20 seasons for the Padres. He, um, left-hander. He won eight batting titles. Mm-hmm. That's hefty. Yeah. Um, he's tied for the most in the NL history. And he's considered the best and most consistent hitter in baseball history by anybody that even knows anything. If you don't even know nothing about baseball, you know Tony Gwynn is the best hitter in baseball. Yeah. I love me some Tony Gwynn. I've got a hefty jersey collection. I want that old school 95 Padres jersey. Or the, That's a good one. Yeah. Or even the 84 one when they went to the World Series. It's Tigers. But he's a um, 338 career hitter. 
Pretty slow. In any full season, he never hit below 309. 15-time All-Star. Seven Silver Sluggers. Five Gold Gloves. Which, people don't even think I have a Gold Glover. People think I have a Silver Slugger. Yeah. Um, but Duke Field. He was the only player... Well, it says... He, he's the rare player in his era. That stayed with the Titans' entire career. You got other guys like Chipper Jones. Um, Jeter. You know, but there's not very many guys that can do a whole career with one team. Um, where you want to go with where you want to go with uh, Mr. Gwynn, Matt? Well, he was born in Los Angeles, and his family moved to Long Beach when he was about nine. And he had two brothers, one an old brother named Charles who played college ball, and a younger brother named Chris Gwynn who actually played major league baseball, who played from '87 to '96. For the Dodgers and the Royals and the Padres. So for a brief time, both Gwynn brothers were uh, teammates on the Padres. So baseball's in this family, you know, with him and his siblings. And, you know, it's just uh, his father, their father encouraged them to play ball in the makeshift baseball field that he assembled in their backyard. The setup of the field in their backyard was a narrow strip of grass that was longer than that was longer than wide. Pulling the ball too much resulted in it being lost over the neighbor's fence, but left field being short ruled out of being short ruled out hitting to the opposite field as well. Once the brother's supply of wiffle balls, so he learned how to hit the other way by yeah, he about, can't hit it over that fence, so he got to go the other way. And once their supply of wiffle balls was exhausted, they resorted to using a sock rolled in rubber bands, a wad of tape, or a hardened fig from a neighbor's tree to use as a ball. <laughs> you know what? I have retrieved very many wiffle balls from my neighbor's yards. So I can relate with that. And it's just, you know, that's, I love reading stories about that and the people, you know, in players' childhoods about how they play baseball. You know, how they learned how to play baseball. And, of course, you know, growing up in L.A., he went to Dodgers games, and his hero was the outfielder Willie Davis. And, you know, he had – Willie Davis stole, like, 398 bases and hit 182 home runs. So he stole twice as many bases as he did home runs. And Gwen admired him for being black, left-handed, and aggressive but under control. So you're going to admire the guy that is like you. Yeah. And he respected Davis's work habits as well. Because, like, I'm white, slow, and throw a fastball, so I love Randy Johnson. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and so, and of course, when when Gwen read the newspaper box scores, you know, other kids would check out, you know, uh, tracked home run hitters, like how many, people, how, many somebody, how many home runs somebody's hit. But Gwen checked the box scores in the newspaper for high average hitters like Pete Rose, George Brett, and Rock Peru. So you check their, you follow their averages and see, you know, what their average was this day, and you know how many how many hits he got, and so on and so forth. Yeah, checking box scores in the newspaper. Yeah, and he he attended Long Beach Polytech High School, which and he was a two star sport at Long Beach Polytech. Yeah, he's a hell of a basketball player. Yeah, he played basketball and baseball, and 
his final two years in the base uh, in high school, the baseball team sucked. They were three wins, twenty five. Excuse me, three wins, twenty five losses, two ties in his final two years. But the basketball teams were fifty three and six, and twice reached the California Interscholastic Federal. Sorry, California Interscholastic Federation Southern Section Four A Championship game. So you know, and he considered quitting. Here's the thing: Tony Gwynn considered quitting baseball as a senior to concentrate on basketball, but his mom talked him out of it. Just like kind of like Ricky Henderson's mom talking him out of football. Tony Gwynn's mom talked him out of doing basketball. Oh, Ricky Henderson could have been a hell of a wide receiver. Yeah, you know, Tony Gwynn could have been a hell of a basketball player. Like in the pros or in college. Well, actually, he was in college, but in the pros, you know. But um, I think he made the right call. Yeah. So here's the thing. This is this was her reasoning. She said it might be something down the road, and that I might be sorry later if I didn't play. Mom's no best. Mom's no best. Hey, Mother's Day was uh, a couple weeks ago. Mom's no best. And he was so he was a point guard in high school. And so, you know. Yeah, he's a quick guy with that little bit of Russell Dazzle to him. And yeah. And just think about it. Like, he could, you know, in his time, or I guess in his senior year, he averaged 10.3 points a game and totaled 178 assists. And he was named to the All-CIF Southern Section 17. And, of course, you know, um, he earned, and then baseball here in first team all southern section after he bat five sixty three. Yeah, and then we can fast forward to him after high school um, when he goes to San Diego State, where he wound up being a coach later. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard he was a hell of a coach. Like uh, he's a hard ass. Like you're gonna do fundamentals the right way and all of this. Very fundamental coach. Yeah, tough guy to play for. If you weren't playing right. Right. But um, San Diego State, he played baseball and basketball for the Aztecs. Yep. And he, he was um, all-conference in both sports, and he was an all-American in baseball. And um, I guess that's really where his baseball record took off because he was selected in the Padre, by the Padres yeah. in the third round of the 81 draft, 58th overall. Um, and he, he didn't even spend a year in the minors. He made his he made his debut the next year, yeah. Which is very impressive as a ball player to only spend that little time. The only other people I can think of that done it is like Harper and um, Steve Strasburg. Maybe Strasburg. That's the I was thinking, trying to think of. Yeah, who played um, for Gwen at San Diego State? Yep. So you can ask you you can talk to Steve Strasburg about Tony Gwen as the coach. And I've I've heard he was a hell of a hard ass as a coach. I mean, I can imagine. I mean, you gotta. Sometimes you gotta be a hard ass. Well, when when you're when you're as perfect as Tony Gwynn and he's coaching you, he's gonna expect the same. Good enough is not good enough. Yeah, that's right. You got you and, gotta give more. And you know, we're from Huntsville, Alabama, so the uh, the Nick Saban kind of thing. Good mm-hmm. enough is not good enough. Perfect is good enough. You know. Yeah. But um. He made his major league debut in 84 and he yep, 1982. Yeah, in 82. And then um, he got a, his first batting call in 84 and they advanced to a, their first ever World Series. And uh, he wasn't a great fielder in college, but his work on his defense was rewarded in 1986 when he got a gold glove. 
Yep. So he knew his defensive liability, but he could hit the ball wherever he wanted it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the Padres, for most of their history, at least from 1969 to 84, they were a terrible team. And, of course, at one point they were owned by Ray Kroc, who owned McDonald's. Well, I mean, if y'all haven't seen that McDonald's documentary, I know it's on Netflix. Oh, yeah. Is that the one with Michael Keaton playing Ray Kroc? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It's a heck of a documentary. Yeah. And so they went, they, for them to win the National League pit in 1984, well, first they win the NL West, right? And then they beat the Chicago Cubs in five games in the NLCS. And that, that, that cursed the Cubs because it was the first time in the playoffs since 1945 World Series. You know, the curse of the GOAT. And they make the they they win the NL East, and they lose to the Padres and poor Leon Durham. Well, this was a precursor to Bill Buckner and the Red Sox. Poor Leon Durham got a ground ball between his legs at first base, and you know he was kind of the goat for that series for the Cubs. But you know, but then they go to the World the Padres go to the World Series and they face the Allen Trammell. Ah, channel. That's the name I forgot about. Yeah, Lou, Lou Whitaker, Jack Morris, Kirk Gibson led Detroit Tigers with Sparky Anderson as their manager. And the Potters had a good manager, Dick Williams. He's in the Hall of Fame. He won two World Series championships with the A's in the seventies. Do knew how to manage. He knew how to win. But that was that. That really helped the Padres get to the World Series. But man, Padres lost in five games to the Tigers. And game five, you know, Kirk Gibson hits a home run, kind of precursor to 88. And my funny, and this is not telling you right, but my funny thing was there's a video of Sparky Anderson, you know, Goose Gossage is pitching for the Padres. And uh, Sparky Anderson is dug out t- saying to, uh, you know, saying to Kirk up bat, he's like, he don't want to walk you. He don't want to walk you. He don't want to walk you. And then Kirk hits that home run in game five. And Sparky just keeps shouting, he don't want to walk you. He don't want to walk you. He don't want to walk you. Get out of there. Yeah. You know, and so poor Tony Gwynn, you know, he made it to a World Series, but then he lost. You know, him and his team lost. But in the World Series, so in the NLCS, he had 368 with, like, three doubles and one walk. So seven hits and 19 at bats in five games. The World Series... He had five hits and 19 at-bats, uh, bad 263 with one stolen base and three walks compared to two strikeouts. And all of his five hits in the World Series were just singles. There were no extra base hits. So, you know, he he, he contributed, but it wasn't great. And, the, I mean, the, the like I said, the Trammell, Whitaker, Morris, Gibson-led Tigers just, just overcame him, you know, the blessy boy Tigers. But, you know, Tony Gwynn's still doing his thing, you know, after that, you know, he, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, he keeps, he keeps hitting, he's getting all these 200 hit seasons, like 84, he had 213, he had 213 hits. Dude, it baffles me every year about, there was like a Tuesday about three weeks ago, mm-hmm. 
It'll be four weeks to go when this comes out. There were more strikeouts in one day of 16 MLB baseball games than Tony Gwynn had in his entire career. Things like that baffle me. I love those stats. He struck out 434 times in his career. Dude. That's hard to do. Dude, there's guys that there's guys that strike out 125 a year. Yeah. The most that Tony Gwynn ever struck out in the season was 40. He had 40 strikeouts in 1988. That's, Dude, Matt, that is banana land. That is banana land. That's the most he ever struck out in the I season. I had 10 strikeouts in my 20 men's league games last year. Yeah. 40 strikeouts in 133 games in 1988. I probably struck out 8 to 10 times in my men's league last year. Right. And I'll probably strike out 12 to 14 this year because I'm losing it every day. I don't like actively practice. You know, like, right. That's, that's absurd. It is absurd. You know, I mean, that's, I mean, it's not Joe Sewell levels of not striking out a lot, but that's still very, very impressive that you only struck out 434 times in 20 seasons. I forget the numbers. I meant to try and find it before we did this, but his numbers against Maddox, Babin, and Smoltz. With the Braves in the nineties, it was like I think he walked four times, yeah. three of which were intentional. Yeah, <laughs> and he hit like eight forty against them or something like that. Just like, walking time. like you're facing the best battery, the best, the best pitching in baseball in the mid nineties. Yeah, but you're hitting like eight forty against them. Like, what are we doing here? The so best pitchers that in the game, you're just no cool. Single in the gap, double in the gap, right? Like. You know, Tony Gwynn just knew how to hit, man. I mean, he just he kind of reminiscent of, like, Ted Williams or other great hitters. You know, he just knew how to hit. And, t- and Tony Gwynn loved Ted Williams. Fucking loved the guy. I mean, you know. And, but, like, you know, Tony Gwynn had, like, let's see, one, two, three, four. He had five seasons of 200 hits. The most, the, the, the out of all of them in 1997 when he was 37, he had 220 hits. And when he's 37 years old. That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. And Tony retired when we were not even playing ball together. We had probably hadn't met him until he retired. He retired in 2001, so no, we hadn't met him. We're still doing the league at that point. Yeah. And the only person I can think of after that that could have put those numbers up would be Ichiro. Yeah. And he got 3,000 hits. Dude, but, you know, if he like 3,300 and something. He got way more than that. You know, like, if Ichiro didn't spend half his career in Japan, he would be he would have passed Pete Rose at all time. He's gonna be he's gonna be a Hall of Fame in both countries. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Dude, when Etro gets inducted. Did you see him come out a couple of weeks ago and throw the first pitch out in full uniform? Yeah. Because he And still, he threw it ninety one miles an hour or some crap like that or something. He'd have been as a pitcher at this point. Mariners need him. Hey, if Pujols can pitch, so can uh so Etro. Man, that was awesome. Pujols pitched last week on Sunday. That was yeah, awesome. um, our buddy, our friend Russell Michael messaged me as it was happening, and I didn't see it for like some morning because I was really in bed. Yeah. And he's like, this has to be great. I'm a Cardinal set. So yeah. it's like, it's got to be great for guys like y'all seeing this all come full circle, coming back, man. You know. And then, you know, so 1994 is the strike shortened season. Sorry if we're jumping ahead here, but there's. 94, so in 110 games, Tony Gwynn was batting 394 when the strike happened. Dude had a legitimate chance of batting 400, which, as we all know, nobody's batting 400 in a season since Ted Williams in 1941. 
Dude had a very legitimate chance of batting 400, and the strike robbed it from us. Same thing with the Expos almost winning the NL East. Robbed it from us. So the, Expos, the Expos could have been world champions for the one time that they would have a chance to If the strike didn't happen, a lot of people thought that the Expos would have stayed. Yeah. And baseball lost a lot of fans that still will not watch baseball because of that. Right. You know, it damaged the game. You work for the Hall of Fame. You understand. I understand. But Tony Gwynn, you know, what can you say about him? Um, so, eight-time bank champion. Obviously, he won the bank championship in 94, even though it was strike-shortened. But, like, you know, he his first bank championship was 84, 351. And then from 87 to 89, he led the league. 370 and 87, 313 in 1988, and 336 in 1989. But that 313, man, that's kind of reminiscent of, you know, Carly Yastrzemski winning the bank yes. championship with 301 in 1968. His grandson was a banger at uh, Vanderbilt. Yeah, Mike Yastrzemski's doing the Giants. Who played but today. there's something else we're forgetting about about Tony Gwynn. He had some financial problems and had to file for bankruptcy. Oh, no. And um, he didn't seem to be on face on the field um, in the, between 87 and 89. That's kind of when that was going. Um, he got that daily money and spent it poorly. I'm not sure how he spent it money, but he was going through a bankruptcy in 87 89. He was unfaced and just milestone, milestone, milestone. He didn't let that affect his playing on the field. Absolutely not. No. He still hit. Because he was a gamer. Yeah. I mean, in, 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 the, in the season opener '87, him and Marvell Wynn and John Cruck. I didn't realize that John Cruck was ever a uh, Padre. Yeah, because I just think it was a Philly. Yeah, I always think it was a Philly. Yeah. I always think of him when Randy Johnson threw the fastball over his head and he turned his helmet backwards and got in the other bad spot. Yeah, you know the video I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Yeah, that was in the '93 the '93 All Star game. Yeah. So those three hit back to back to back home runs to open the season. In the Padres' home opener, which was the first time the MLB team had led off a game with three consecutive home runs. Wow. <laughs> you know, uh, Gwynn is just... In June of... Ninth, in June of... What year is this? In June... I can't find the year. He had 44 hits in 93 at-bats, a 473 average. I believe what that, a month, man. I believe that was also an 87. That's, that's insane. And he finished fifth among National League operators in voting the All Star for the All Star game. And Larry Boa, who was the Padres manager, which again I think of him as a Philly and not a Padre. You know, he played and, and, and managed the Phillies and coached the Phillies for so many years, and then he managed the Padres. And I'm like, Larry Boa was a Padre? What? You know, but Larry Boa called. Uh, um, Tony Gwynn's placing in the All-Star Game voting a joke. But Gwynn was unperturbed. He's like, people put a premium on the home run hitters. I know what I am. I'm a contact hitter and not a home run hitter. Especially as an area, because he was playing at the same time we were watching McGuire and Tosa. Right, you know, so, so uh, well, yeah, and Conseco. Conseco, which I ain't got that up Conseco. Yeah. Or any of the Consecos, to be honest. But, right. uh, <laughs> yeah, like, he was playing the he was playing the zero day and he was like, "Cool, I'm over. I'm cool. I'm content over hitting my doubles and singles." 
Yeah. I'm not, In my opinion, I think he was the most humble, consummate professional in the sense of, cool, these these two assholes over here that are juicing, yeah. they can all the hormones they want. But my own base percentage, my RBIs, yeah. my batting average, I'll beat them all. Yeah. And he said, uh, and to end that quote, he said, I'm not going to try to be something I'm not. And that's how you do it. You be true to yourself, you know? He's the best pure hitter to ever swing a baseball bat, in my opinion. Yeah. That's just tough. I mean, yeah. <laughs> there might be some guys from way back, way back in the day that I'm not familiar with that you could probably trump me with. But yeah. in my lifetime, he's the best pure hitter to ever swing a baseball bat. Yeah, so 87... You know, obviously he led the league in hits with 218, and he led the league in wins above replacement, and he was second in stolen bases, triples, and on-base percentage. And, I mean, he just had a heck of a year. And, like, his average hits, runs, and triples in season were all Padres records, because, of course, they were. He's Mr. Padre. Mr. Padre. That's Mr. Padre. the name of this episode is Mr. Padre. Right. And he only, he only hit seven home runs in 87, but he was intentionally walked – 26 times in that season, and he was second in the league with 26 walks. He was getting the Barry Bonds treatment before the Barry Bonds treatment was the thing. Yeah, see, pitchers were afraid of him, not because of his home runs, but because he, they don't. But he knew how to move men from base to base. He could be a contact hitter and get those line drives in the gaps. Oh, then, you know, I bet I very vaguely remember watching him on TV because I was, you know, we were both children. We were young, yeah. But I'm willing to bet has the kind of guy like, hey, get this guy second and third and lay out on a bum with one out and then or with no outs, like get him over third so a single score. You know, like I, I imagine him being that kind of guy. Yeah, and he finished despite all this. Gwynn finished eighth in the MLB MLVP voting, but he continued to resist altering his hitting style to hit more runs to earn more respect. Because again, he's being true to himself. He's not gonna. Yeah. Play the game. You know how to play. Right. You know, if, don't let the media make you change your game. You got drafted. You got signed. You continue to get contracts based on how you play the ball game. Right. If it works don't for you. Don't let the media manipulate your ball game. Right. If it works for you, don't change it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it because. There's no reason to reinvent the wheel. Like if people with unorthodox batting style. And batting styles, you know, people. Hunter Pence. Like, That's who I'm going to bring up with that. Like Hunter Pence, yeah. Or like I'm, I'm not sure if y'all have seen his scouting report. Google Hunter Pence scouting report. It says he swings like he's got his knees stable to his elbows. Yeah, or even like Al Simmons back in the 20s and 30s. People hated the way his batting stance was, but it worked for him because he won two batting tiles and hit almost 3,000 hits. So, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, man. Like, yeah. don't change your game as long as it's working. Right. Because if it works for you, don't. don't as long as you're productive, getting on base, keep moving guys over, scoring runs. Yeah. Especially now with the um, sabermetric stats, man. Like, I bet Tony Gwynn's war is absurd. Yeah. I mean, well, his lifetime war is, according to baseball reference, his lifetime war is, uh, I think it's 69.2. Yeah. 69.2 wins the replacement. So it's still good, but it's not like, you know, Ted Williams, Ty Cobb, Babe Ruth. Yeah. Yeah. But baseball was different in those guys' time period, too. Right. They played, I mean, they played in the dead ball era. 
Which <laughs> if me with my talent had played ball in the Babe Ruth Tycom era, yeah, you know, like as a pitcher, I would have had a stupid war, you know. Yeah, and us so, as human beings have advanced so much since the damn forties, fifties, sixties. Yeah, a lot of baseball has changed. Every yeah, you know, it's changed Just all the time. Human human dynamics. Yeah, you know this. Physical ability. Yeah. You know, Gwyn dealt with a bunch of injuries. Like, you know, in 89, he's fighting for the title again, which he won. But he, (laughs) his right toe made it hard for him to put a shoe on. Like, he was hurting bad. And his left Achilles heel, I'm sorry, left Achilles tendon was sore and prevented him from pushing off properly when swinging. And his bang average dropped when he insisted to be played. He insisted on playing until his manager forced him to sit him for out for two games. And, you know, they were battling the Giants for the NL West title, but which the Giants won because that was the year of the, the Bay Area Series, 89. But, um, you know, he, you know, Will, and he was battling for Will Clark of the Giants. He, Quinn was battling Will Clark and Giants for, for uh, the bang title. In his last two games, Tony Quinn went three for four, and he finished with three thirty-six average. He beat out Will Clark to claim the title, and Will Clark said simply, "I lost to the best." Yeah, and he became the first NL player to win three consecutive batting championships since Sam Usual did from nineteen fifty nineteen fifty-two. You know. And he just, you know, he he continued to play, and in spite of his adversity with his feet, in 89, he still managed to win the bank title. He had to adjust because, you know, know, he he couldn't really push off properly when swinging, but he still managed to win and overcame that adversity to win the bank championship. Well, as as a former ball player, I bet he just manipulated his body to be able to still... You know, my foot's messed up, so I'm going to go ahead and set it in his final position. And the front side do my job for me, maybe. I don't know. I'm not sure what he was thinking. I'd love to have Tony on the podcast and ask him what he was thinking that year. Yeah. Which we'll get there one day, Matt. We're working on it. We're working on it. Because our listeners are doing great work for us. Yeah. It's, it's, gone up, it's gone up a little bit. It's taking time, but, you know, you build a following and it goes up. So, And... Um, you know, and, you know, he did what he had to do. He maneuvered it. He maneuvered his style to a point that it may work for him over, yeah. to overcome the situation. You don't have to be like, you don't have to be mechanically perfect, right? As long as it works for you. And of course, like you know, his his feet, they there was nothing torn. They were just sore. His toe was hurting, and his Achilles tendon was hurting. But it wasn't enough that to put like it wouldn't be enough to put him on the DL. Now today's game. If anybody else had that sort of thing, they probably you're only you're, you're only uh, what is it a ten day? It's a short one. It yeah. used to be fifteen day. Now they have a ten day, fifteen day, thirty day. Right, you'd be on that list immediately. But Tony Gwynn is not one of those people, and he made no, because Tony Gwynn is a effing baller. Yeah, he, he kicks butt. Oh man, and so you know, apparently some of his teammates in 1990 weren't too thrilled with him. They, some of them accused him of being selfish and caring more about winning 
about his betting averages and winning games. Because once again, this is a Padres. You know, the the magic of the eighty four season was gone and the Padres were sucking again. They're one of the six teams, eight teams, I forget the number that's never won a World Series, right? That's right. They've been to two, but they never won. They're one of the six or eight. Yeah, them, Rockies, Rangers, Mariners, so that's four. Uh, No, Nationals won. I forgot. (laughs) Uh, Tampa Bay, so that's five. Uh, Who else? Uh, My mind's going blank. There's eight. Six or eight. Yeah, so I got five. Uh, Angels? No, Angels won 2002. They were right with uh, Shosha. Yeah. Um, yeah, but they're one of those two teams, too. So I feel like that fan base was like, cool, you can bat fucking 350 every year. Right. But give us a ring. So most notably, the first baseman for the Padres, Jack Clark. And apparently no relation to Will Clark. Oh, there was a funny, uh, I'll, I'll tell you later, there's a funny video about Jack Clark on YouTube. First baseman Jack Clark most notably stated that Wynn should be swinging with runners in scoring position instead of bunting and protecting his batting average. And Clark did not approve of Gwynn bunting with runners on first and second with nobody out. Um, move him over? Yeah. Move him in. That's what he's doing. I mean, that's he, He's playing fundamental baseball. Right, that's what you do. Get him on? You want the next step is, Matt? Yeah. You get him over. Get him on, get him and over. And then the next step is you get him in. Right. He's so, with no outs, I'm going to lay it down so I don't have the guys on second and third in scoring position. So, this guy hits a single, yeah. we score three runs. So, that, I'm putting stock in the guy behind me. Yeah. Jack Clark didn't understand that because he was more of a slugger compared to Tony Gwynn. And so, he didn't, you know, he, he was believing that, you know, Clark didn't improve bunting, believing that he was trying to either bunt for a hit or get credit for a sacrifice and he failed. On the other hand, Gwynn felt he was advancing runners for the team's game changers, Clark and Joe Carter. This is before Joe Carter hit that home run, which was consistent with Jack McKean's style. Because at the time, Jack McKean was the Padres manager, which, you know, that guy's a baseball library. We've already mentioned it multiple times in the podcast. So, again, Gwynn saying, hey, it's fundamental baseball. He's basically saying it's fundamental baseball. You know? Yeah. I know what I'm doing. Don't tell me how to hit, you know. So let's circle back to that World Series thing we're talking about. Yeah. The Seattle Mariners are the only MLB team that has never appeared in a World Series. That's sad. The Padres, Rockies, Rangers, Rays, Brewers have all played in it, but have never won it. Right. So that's the list of Major League Baseball teams that never won a World Series. Circling back to about two and a half minutes ago for you all at home. Thank you for updating that because I had to think, I forgot about the Brewers. <laughs> yeah. But uh, they should have won one when they had uh, yeah. a guy we mentioned on the previous episode. Yeah. That uh, was Ryan Braun. Yeah. They should have won one in his time. They just couldn't pull it off. Yeah. And then, like, you know, uh, Clark went on to say, no one bothers Tony Gwynn because he wins batting titles. But the Padres finish fourth or fifth every year. And then his teammates Gary Templeton and Mike Pagliarulo, Pagliarulo, I apologize, but I can't get it right. If Mr. Pagliarulo, Pagliarulo, <laughs> yeah, if he wants to set the record straight, he can email us at baseballhis101 at gmail.com. Uh, they sided with Jack Clark, 
and they said that Gwen was 50 pounds overweight. Which, that's not nice. Imagine if he played for somebody like the Yankees. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine that. <laughs> if he played with the Yankees, he'd probably win World Series around that time. Him and Don Maggie. They would have won one every year. Right. Him and Don Maggie on the same team in the 80s and early 90s. They would have won the World Series every damn year. Yeah. Yankees have too many. That's what those two guys but, and Dave Winfield on the team, they would have won a World Series. They would have been in the playoffs more. George Steinberg would have been having camper. You know, but that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like that. Or so, you can even put him in like a. Yeah. He might have been able to help break the Boston curse. I don't, I don't even know, man. He was that good of a hitter. Right. Now, this now this, uh, this, this whole thing stirred up more controversy. Because, obviously, this really stung Tony. And he was miserable for the rest of the season. He became withdrawn and distrustful among his teammates. Right? Conscious of being perceived as selfish, he altered his hitting style by attempting to pull the ball to move runners in situations where he would normally hit to opposite field. Rumors that he might be traded affected his play. In September, Gwynn was upset when a figurine of his likeness was hanging in an effigy in the Padres' dugout. And race became an issue due to the undercurrent of lynchings being invoked with Gwynn being black and Clark being white. Yikes. That that went from 0 to 100 that quickly. The Padres said a groundskeeper was responsible, but Wynn believed it was a cover-up. Clark denied any involvement, and after breaking his right index finger mid-month in Atlanta while trying to catch a catch, make a catch at the wall, Gwynn missed the final action games of the season. And he just left the team for the rest of the season to avoid contact with the media and his teammates. And he was further upset that neither management nor other teammates came to his defense at the time. He later regretted saying he wanted to avoid his teammates in general instead of being more specific which ones he was referring to. And Tony, you know, uh, Joe Carter said it just involved one great guy, and that's Tony Gwynn, and anything they want to say about Tony Gwynn is going to be news. It got all blown, it got all blown out of proportion. You know. And, t- you know, Tony's like, I've been doing the same things my whole career, playing the same way. Now, why is it an issue? Because Jack Clark says it is. And so Gwynn hit 309 that season, and he did not win the bank title for the fourth straight year. That was it, it, it got him sixth in the league. But that was his lowest average of any full season of his career. You know. And but he did hit he did drive in 72 runs, 72 RBIs that season, which at the time was his career high. But, you know, 1990 was a terrible season for, uh, <laughs> 1990 was a terrible season for Tony Gwynn. That was like the nadir for Tony Gwynn in his career because just the way, you know, his, the way his teammates talk crap about him, especially Jack Clark. Yeah, but they, they reconciled themselves and said they could continue to play with each other. Yeah, but Clark got signed with the Boston Red Sox to free agent the offices, and so they did that's that. And, and Gwen felt, and Tony Gwynn, um, this came out where he said that he felt that he was very appreciated after he was signed to a three-year $12.25 million with a million-dollar sign for his extension after that trade. Yeah. So, like, the Padre said, you're our man, Mr. Yeah. Padre. Exactly. You know, because you invested Tony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn is the face of your franchise. 
Well, it's the same thing all the Braves fans wanted to happen with uh, Freeman. Yeah. But it didn't happen. Four months ago. Now, three months ago. Jack Clark has always been somewhat of an asshole. Because, and we're going back to 87. Oh, he's a noted dick face. Yeah. Now, we're going back to 1987 with this one when he was with the Padres. And I'm going to be brief about this. We're going back to telling you this. At the time, the St. Louis had an NFL team known as the St. Louis Cardinals. Now they're in Arizona as the Arizona Cardinals. And both the MLB St. Louis Cardinals and the NFL St. Louis Cardinals shared Bush Stadium. You know. and Bush won. Bush won. And... Um, So there was, and so there was a thing about the practice. Like, Jack Clark was hurting really bad. Like, he got injured, and, you know, he was pissed off that the Cardinals football team was practicing on a day that, you know, he would try to get some more batting practice. And he was furious. Well, it... The 87 was also the year that the NFL players used scab players because they went on strike. The real players went on strike, so they didn't use scabs. And Clark was, like, furious that he had to share practice time with the scab players for the Cardinals. And he was furious that they had to practice on the same field as, you know, they used the same field as the real St. Louis baseball Cardinals. And he legitimately threatened to, like, you know, hit – you know, he, he friendly tried to he tried to threaten to kill or severely injure the scab players by like, you know, trying to hit them with line drives if he ever saw them on the field. And he was being a total dick about it. And like the the real safe the, the baseball St. Louis Cardinals had no problem with it. And the football St. Louis Cardinals, who at the time were coached by future Alabama coach Gene Stallings, they had no problem with it. And they got off like early, you know, they had a set time and place they had to practice. And Jack Clark was just being a dick about it. And so, I mean, if you want to know more about it, you got to check out the video on official Jaguar Gator 9 called The Bizarre Drama Between 1987 Cardinals, NFL, and MLB Teams. Because it's just a wild story. Jack Clark was way out of line because he was pissed off because he couldn't get extra batting practice. So. Hey, if I'm a baller, I want that extra batting practice. If I'm a major leaguer, why can't I get it? Yeah. He was just being a, he was just being a total dick about it. So, Jack Clark... He's probably hopefully he doesn't hear this, but Jack Clark has been known as just a dick in you know, his major career. Well, even if he does hear it, put yourself on notice. Mm-hmm. Come on this podcast and we'll talk about your career. <laughs> oh, I love that, and we'll, we will we will be very humble. Against you. Right, and Patrick's a cardinal, and we will ask you questions about why you were a dickhead and why you were dickhead. If you can justify yourself, bring it on. Right, because your career is a part. Bring of, it on. Your career is baseball history, so. Come on this show. We'll talk about it, and maybe we'll, you know, and maybe we'll get to know you better, and maybe understand why you were kind of a dick. No, I got, I got a couple of buddies of mine that were asking today yesterday. You know, talk about this on the podcast. I'm like, it's not history yet. Like, it is history because it just happened, but it's yeah. not the kind of history we're doing. Right. This happened in the '80s and 1987, yeah. So that's history. So now, oh my God. So like. Um, Clark continued to criticize Gwynn even outside of, even out with the Red Sox, which attributed to, which Gwynn attributed to jealousy because, well, Jack Clark's not in the Hall of Fame, Tony Gwynn is. 
Well, one deserves to be there. The other is a um, guy that will maybe get in there one day. Yeah. Probably not, though. And so, and then Tony Gwynn responded after Clark continued to criticize him. Gwynn responded with his own criticism of Shaq Clark. He said, let's talk about him walking 104 times, being a number four hitter. Let's talk about his not flying on team flights. Let's talk about him getting booted out of games on a call strike three. And then, apparently Clark filed for bankruptcy in the 90s, or 92, after some bad loans by his agent. And I guess he said some nice things about, I guess it kind of buried the hatchet and said some nice things about uh, Jack Clark. But I didn't see what he said. But Jack said, I really appreciate the things Tony said about my situation. So I guess see, it can... I'll give him a little bit of pass and some bad loans by the agent. Yeah. Because there was a guy I played with in um, the... Um, it was the Montgomery... Was, we played ball. I'm not sure what the league was called anymore. It's, uh, it, well, it's not cable ball. Cable ball was Montgomery when I played in it. But I was like one of three three white dudes in the league, and there was another white dude. He had been a closer for the Angels, yeah. and he was telling me told told me straight up about like how he when he made it to the show, he played there for a, played a month in the show, yeah, like seven cups of coffee, you know, yeah, and um, all the money he made in the show went straight back to his agent for the stuff his agent hooked him up with yeah. through the minus, got through ninety eight miles an hour. He was there for a cup of coffee. Yeah. You know, and so we got to remember how these agents are when we're talking about stuff like that. Right, because sometimes you can't trust your agents. Some agents are not looking They're in it for the money, too. Right, they're in it for the money, too. I mean, that's fine. But like, I wish I could remember the guy's name. Uh, he played for the Angels before they were. Yeah. I can't. I wish I could remember his name. He was. We're playing. Me and him and another couple of dudes were like the three, four white dudes in the league. And we all dealt as pitchers. Yeah. But they brought us in because they knew we could pitch. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, this is like, you just can't trust agents. You, you can't always trust agents in general. No, because every bit, every, I bet Craig Kimbrell, if we could get him on here, I bet we could get him on here. But I bet, like, people like Craig Kimbrell, um, Hans Lonet. <coughs> Bless his goodness. Um. I bet, like, anybody that's just now getting the majors, they're like, yeah, I got to pay my agent back for all those free gloves and all this. Yeah. I know. Some agents just screw you over. Kind of like... Because uh, nothing's free. Yeah. Like in like in music, there was this band called Badfinger, and they relied on their agent, St. Pauli, but St. Pauli screwed them over so much, and it basically led to a couple of the band members committing suicide because of it. So... That's but, not cool. That's not cool, man. It's... Some agents are not looking out for your best interests. They're looking out for their pockets. Right, they're looking out for their pockets. So, but anyway, going back to that, that, that got dark. Let's go back to Tony Quinn. <laughs> you know, and so 1990 was his absolute worst season by his standards and the crap that he dealt with from Jack Clark and others. But, um, you know, in 91, he, he got better. Uh, he passed Gene Richards as the Padres' all time leader in steals and triples. And he just, you know, he kept he kept going. He kept being Tony Gwynn, you know. Let's knock the ball around the park and double singles, let's roll. Yeah, and he's still dealing with injuries, man. This man got injured so much, but he still managed to, you know, play 20 years. Like, he in 91, uh, 
His left knee began causing problems, and he had suffered, even been suffering from shin splints. And then he injured his left knee on August 5th while sliding to second base. He played through the injury, missing just one game over the next three and a half weeks, and he had fluid drained from his knee on August 31st and played just once in the week following that followed while surgery was discussed. And he attempted to finish out the season, but lasted just five more games until he went arthroscopic surgery on his knee to clean it out and smooth the articular cartridge. This man got injured, but he played hard. You know? I've had the same arthroscopic surgery on my knee. Yeah. And not a lot of players... And I wasn't a bottle like he was. There's not a lot of players that can play 20-plus years or 20 years in general and have all those injuries and still manage to play 20 seasons. Well, uh, guys like Griffey. Yeah. I mean, like Griffey. Had Griffey been able to manage his injuries yeah. the way that Tony had, he'd be the all-time home, home run leader. Yeah. And there's, nobody, and there's not a doubt about that. And nobody would be saying steroids. No. Nobody. No. He, he would have made the steroid era irrelevant if he had done such a thing. Yeah. I mean, just, you know. But unfortunately, my man had glass legs. He had glass legs. And he's my favorite player I ever to watch play ball. Yeah, and of course, you know, in 92, they hosted the All-Star Game in San Diego, which at the time was still known as Jack Murray Stadium, then later became Qualcomm Stadium, which that's how Patrick and I remember it as Qualcomm. And he met fellow Hall Hall of Famer and San Diego native Ted Williams at the All-Star Game in 92. And, you know... Gwen considered himself to be an accomplished hitter at the time. Williams called him a big guy and challenged him to hit for more power. <laughs> and he chided Tony for using a toothpick for a bat. <laughs> and so, and because of that, his encounter with Williams spurred him to think more about hitting, and he began to hit more. He began to hit for more power because Ted Williams told him to. And he said, I've never been a home run guy. I've never been a big RBI guy. But from that point to the end of my career, I was much better at it. I feel like Ted Williams song. Get them hips involved in your swing a little more. Right. You know? Like, when Ted Williams encourages you or suggests that you to hit for power, because Ted Williams can hit for both power and average. If Ted Williams suggests something for you, you do what Ted Williams says. Absolutely, because he's one of the best hitters ever. He's in the Hall of Fame for a reason. Yeah, yeah, and he's giving that advice to the second best hitter ever. Yeah. Oh man, and and then ninety three, let's see, ninety three. Yeah, ninety three. He missed out on hitting a cycle, or hitting the cycle, um, because in the seventh inning, his manager Jim Riggleman replaced him in the seventh inning of a fourteen to two round against the Dodgers. He hit a home run, a double, and a triple in his three at bats. And Riggleman was oblivious to the fact that Tony needed a one single to get the cycle. And Tony Gwynn could hit singles, right? He could hit a single right now. I mean, he could, hit, he could be at dinner right now and just be like, boom, I'm going to hit that steak for a single. Like he's a, he's a guy that just hit a single whatever he wanted. Now, I would make the argument that getting replaced before you accomplish a cycle is about as bad as getting replaced before you pitch a perfect game. You know, this is similar to the Kershaw situation. <laughs> Man, I, I got a cycle story y'all might like. Um, listeners at home, you know Bruce Maxwell. 
Yep. Oh yeah. Men's league baseball that I I'm, I'm still playing. We're starting up this weekend. Nice. But um, I was a uh, single away from a cyclone game. Bruce Maxwell is playing. In men's league. In men's league, yeah. Wow, nice. Same year, I hit three homers in a single game. That's a different story. Yeah. Russell Wacker was there. He'll vouch for me. Okay. Um. But no, like Bruce, he he hit a damn. Could have been a damn triple. Scored the run and run. Yeah. Everybody checked out for me. So it uh. Everybody's like, and I got screwed because it had to happen naturally. But I was up at bat. All I needed was a single for the damn cycle. Yeah. First baseman picked over the first, threw it in the dugout. Mercy will run comes home. Oh. And that's what we get for trying to stage it, trying to give me a chance at it. That's what we get. We'll get. It wasn't meant to be. Yeah. It's sad, man. Well, that been awesome. I'll come see you play. Let's do it. Oh, uh, well, the Cornells are going to be there. Um, same team as pretty much the last year. Nice. We're, um, we're doing a scrimmage this Sunday, and then we're going to start playing here. I think we could. Hell yeah, man. I can't wait. Because I didn't see you at all last year. So I ain't worth a damn anymore. Just, I know, but it'd be good to see you got you and the Cornells and everybody else. And I, yeah, I'm out, I'm out there to have fun. Yeah, he's disappointed in this league. You're just having fun. You're not winning championships. Tell Billy that the guy that runs our team. Billy? Yeah, that runs our team. Tell him that. He's talking about cutting people for not showing up to open try open workouts. Billy probably slapped me if I told him that. I don't even get it. But I will come to see you play at least one game before you move. So. Absolutely. Let's do it. Yeah. Because that's what There's a high five for y'all at home. Well, that's what friends do. You, you support other friends. Well, I wouldn't know if we would even play more together. Yeah. But yeah, Jim, I cannot believe that Riggleman was oblivious to the fact that, <laughs> that he was oblivious to the fact that Rickleman took that that Gwyn was hitting it was almost there for the cycle, but Gwyn did not contest the removal, which <laughs> which pissed off Rickleman when he found out after the game. <laughs> you hate to see it, don't you? You hate to see that. Okay. You hate to see it. Gwyn was trying to be, I guess he tried to be the consultant of teammate. You know, because again, Gwyn was still wary of Clark's earlier criticism that he was selfish. Clark was still in his mind when Gwyn just conceded that, okay, I'm going to take out of the game, but I'm not going to hit the cycle. And then uh, on August 4th that year. How do you pull it back from the damn cycle, man? It's like, how do you pull a guy about, you know, Seven innings into a perfect game. I'm 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 still irritated by that. I, yeah, I mean, again, Dave Roberts is a manager. He has both series right. He knows what he's doing. But at the same time, it's like that was the ventilator. Keep him in the game until he gets a hit or something. A hit, walk someone. Yeah, and then take him out. The minute somebody gets on base, yank him. Yeah, exactly. Man. And for those y'all at home, Dave Roberts mismanaged the baseball game, in our opinion. Right. So, and then later. In that season, on August 4th, 93, Gwynn had the only six-hit game of his career. And he might have gone seven for seven if not for an excellent play by first baseman Will Clark of the, I guess, I guess he's from the Giants. Yeah. Dude, six, six at bats in a game in its own. Something's going wrong. Right. 
I mean, he could have been like Brittany Stinnett or, you know, in Gone 7 for 7, like he did in 1975. But nope, Will Clark had to squash that. <laughs> That's okay. But man, you know, he's just, he got his 2,593 against Bruce Ruffin of the newly inaugurated Colorado Rockies because that was their first year. And we'll, you know, in the future, we'll do an episode about the 93 expansion teams, the Rockies and the, and the Marlins. Yeah, we need to do an expansion in general because there's been multiples after that. So we can kill around with that. To yeah, that. the 69 was the big one. The 69 expansion, that was the big one. Because that changed baseball, like, hierarchy. Because, you know, you got to do East and West divisions now and all that. And, um, you know. Yeah, and the sad thing is, 93 is Tony's dad, Charles, died at 57 from heart problems. And the two days before that, Charles argued with Tony that he should leave San Diego, questioning the Padres' commitment to winning. And when... <laughs> Tony eventually concluded, no, I like it here. I should stay. He contemplated leaving baseball after his dad's death, similar to Michael Jordan leaving basketball after his father's death that same year and going to do baseball because his dad wanted to do baseball. Kind of similar to that. But, you know, Tony Gwynn said, even though he contemplated leaving baseball, he recalled his father always telling you to never be a quitter or hard. So, once again, father knows best. So, in the 90s, Tony Gwynn made, uh, the, Tony Gwynn and the Padres made two other appearances in the playoffs. They made it to the playoffs in 1996, but they lost in the, they won the division with 91 wins. And, you know, they lost. Back then, <laughs> they lost. They were swept by the Cardinals in the NLDS. So Patrick's beloved St. Louis Cardinals swept the Padres. But then, it's 90, happen. but then '98, it's another magical year, just like 1984. The Padres win the NL West with a franchise record 98 games, and then they beat Houston, the Houston Astros, and the Atlanta Braves in the playoffs to make it to the World Series. Right. But unfortunately, they ran into the juggernaut known as the Joe Torre, Jared Jeter, Mariano Rivera, uh, Jorge Posada, and a bunch of other stars I can't remember right now, New York Yankees. And they got swept. But despite getting swept, Tony Gwynn had a better World Series than he did in 1984. He hit 500. He had eight hits and 16 at bats. And the rest of the team hit only two or three in the series. Kind of similar to my... He hit Damian Porter and they hit 300. Yeah. Two of them. Similar to my... Similar to Pepper Martin in the 1931 World Series, where he hit 500, while the rest of the Cardinals batted 205 in the series. Which, I mentioned that in my shortstop about Pepper Martin's hat. So, both him and, and Tony Gwynn hit 500 in the respective series, but... The 1931 World Series won seven games. It's only won four, so. <laughs> but he had a good, he had a great series, and Win hit a home run off the second deck facade in the opening game, game one at Yankee Stadium against David Wells, Boomer. So he got a home run, and he called. And after that, Tony Gwynn called 
that his favorite hit and highlight of his career. So all those, you know, singles and doubles contact guy, he hits a home run at Yankee Stadium, right, in the World Series, which that's huge. Yeah, you'll never forget that shit. Yeah, he said, I'll remember that forever. And so... this now was the old Yankee Stadium, not this new candle, candlestick, right on. It's not the new cookie cutter, just home run heavy park it is now. Like old school Yankee Stadium. And so 99, you know, he missed 44 games because of a calf injury, but he still made the all-star game at Fenway Park that year. And, you know, Ted Williams was there because I guess they were on the all-century team. Ted Williams was there, and he helped Ted Williams throughout the ceremony first pitch of the all-star game, like by bracing him and because Ted Williams had poor health and his eyesight was terrible at that time. So he's like, hey, there's a catcher. Throw it there, Ted. And so Ted did. And everyone's like, yeah, you know. He threw it to Carlton Fisk, who was catching for the first. But 99 was great. Season. I remember that. That yeah. was the hell of a home run derby, too. It was McGuire and Sosa. And... Yeah, fit away. <laughs> and so. I think McGuire hit like 30 or some shit. Yeah. I don't know. And then the best time. The best, one of his best seasons, Tony Gwynn on August 6th got his 3,000th hit. He hit a single off Montreal Expo pitcher Dan Smith in the first inning. And he had four hits that game. So that was his first of four hits. So he kept, he kept hitting on. You know. I hate to say it for poor Dan Smith. Yeah. You're known for being that guy. Right, because no, I, I, don't, I don't know Dan Smith outside of that. And not only that. My man was probably in the league for a cup of coffee, and I – Allegedly, I, I can't say he might have played a full season, but Dan Smith, you're known for being three thousand hit guy for yeah. And so, it, and not only that, also when Tony Gwynn got his two thousand career hit in nineteen ninety three, that was also on August sixth. And that's, that's also a cool coincidence. And not only that, August sixth is also Tony Gwynn's mom's birthday. <laughs> August sixth is a great year for the Gwynn family. A great great day for the Gwynn family. And That's he, awesome. Yeah, he reached 3,000 hits in 2,284 games, which was the third fewest games among the 22 players reached. He was only behind Ty Cobb and Nap Lajaway for guys who, you know, for the fewest games getting their 3,000 hit. That's pretty damn good company right there with Cobb and Lajaway. To get 3,000 hits and um, yeah. 780 games less. Then 3,000, that's very impressive. It is absolutely impressive. And no player born after 1900 got there in fewer games or at bats than Gwynn. All those other guys, they were born in the 1880s, 1800s. But Tony Gwynn, he's the only person born after In a modern era. In a modern era to get it that quickly. Dude could hit. Dude was dedicated to hitting. I shared a Facebook post on his birthday the other day, and I said he is the best pure hitter to ever play the game baseball. Yep. And I don't think anybody can argue that with me. Nobody can. I mean, I guess second to him, it might be like P. Rose. Probably P. Rose. Yeah. And there might be some guys now, but they're still like careers going, you know. But then, and so that was that was also nineteen was also his last All Star appearance. What fifteen All Star appearances? Yeah, that's what he said. Yeah. yeah. And so, two thousand and next season he turns forty. Injuries are catching up to him. He only plays in 36 games in 2000. And he hit... 700. <laughs> he still hit 323. 
So even in only 36 games, he still hit for 300. And then 2001 is his last season. He played 71 games. He batted 324. That was Ripken's last year, too, wasn't it? Yeah, that was also Cal Were they, were they both playing an all-star game at, um, in Seattle? I believe – no, uh, Tony did not make the all-star team in 2001. That was in Seattle, right? It was in Seattle. Ripken did. That's a bummer that he didn't make it in this last year. Yeah, he only played 71 games. And, of course, as we mentioned in the Ricky Henderson episode, his last game – was in October 2001. And as we've stated, Ricky wanted to sit that game out and let Tony Gwynn, his boy, get all the accolades because that was Tony Gwynn's last game in the major leagues. But old Tony insisted that Ricky played that game. He's like, no, man, you got to play this game too. It was in October 6th. 2001 at Qualcomm Stadium. And so Ricky, Ricky said, okay, I'll play for you, Tony. And then Ricky Henderson got 2005 that day. <laughs> That's two ballers respecting each other being ballers. Right. Both are in the Hall of Fame. Both kick butt. And so... Nobody Ricky, will ever touch Ricky's. Nobody. Tony Gwynn's last career hit. It was a pinch hit RBI double off Gabe White of the Colorado Rockies. You know, but, you know, oh, man, it just, yeah. <laughs> and then, so actually, yes, that was his last hit. And then the next day, he considered starting in the final game of the season, but he was not confident that he could handle a fly ball. So in his final appearance, he pitched it again in the ninth inning and ground out, ground out the shortstop. But due, the, the accolades of his career are just amazing. They're, they're banana land. Right. He finished, uh, man, 3,141 hits in 9,288 9, bats with a 338 lifetime batting average. 338, man. Right. Eight. 300 is the magic number. Eight batting titles, just like Thomas Wagner. Dude could play, and he, along with Cal Ripken, were first ballot Hall of Famers in 2007. So here's my problem with Hall of Fame voting. Okay. Why is Ken Griffey the first person to ever get unanimous? Because that man should have been unanimous. I think Mario Rivera was the first person. Oh, Mario Rivera. And then Griffey was the second to get unanimous. No, Griffey was elected 2016, then Rivera was 2019. Um, he missed one vote. That's right. That's right. I, yeah. I'm tired. Like, why are these Hall of Fame voters like, nobody deserves to be... Unanimous since Tom Seaver wasn't unanimous, you know, like, yeah, what are we doing here, man? Like, that man, we're, we talked about for the last hour and 10 minutes, should yeah. be unanimous Hall of Famer, yeah. Why was he not like what? What about him says you're not unanimous? I don't know, man, but it, I try not to question. I mean, you can question it, but I try not to get into it. Well, I think a big part of it is you put the sports writers involved, and the sports writers have agendas and things like that. Yeah, and, and some and some sports writers are friendly with said with some players more than others, and uh, it's kind of a little boy system. Yeah, and I hate that man because because yeah. there's no reason Tony Gwynn should not have been a unanimous Hall of Famer. No. He's a Hall of Famer regardless. Yeah, but my man should have been unanimous. So he, um, after his playing career, he became 
first as a volunteer assistant at San Diego State, his alma mater, and then in 2003 he became the head coach at baseball coach at UCLA. I heard he was a hell of a man to play for. He demanded perfection every day, Nick Saban style. A position that he held until his death in 2014. From jaw cancer, correctly? Yeah. And uh, his overall record at uh, San Diego State was 363 wins, 363 losses, and he was 1-6 in the NCAA tournament. But he won a Mountain West Conference regular season title in 2004 and the two Mountain West tournament titles in 2013 and his last year on Earth in 2014. And then also... His last year on earth, he won the Mountain West Coach of the Year Award. So he went out a winner as a coach in that regard. And he brought us a man named Steven Strasburg as a coach, too. Yeah, Yes. Number one overall draft pick in 2009. To the Nationals. And is he still playing Strasburg? I believe so. I'm not sure. So he's not with the Nationals anymore. Yeah, I believe he's still the Nationals. I don't think they traded him. They, there was debate about trading him to the Yankees sometime. I don't watch as much baseball anymore as I should. Yeah. I just read more about the old baseball. There was debate about – there was speculation about the Nationals trading into the Yankees last year or a couple years ago, but that didn't happen. And so, you know, he's – Strasburg's got his World Series ring with the uh, Nationals. But, yeah, it's just – it's really sad how Tony Gwynn passed away so young from – kind of like his dad. They both passed away in their 50s. But it's just really sad that from just dipping too damn much or chewing tobacco, which, you know, I know a lot of people chew tobacco, so. And, um, but his son, Tony Gwynn Jr., former Huntsville star. I was about to bring that up, yes. Why aren't you bringing it up then? I apologize. Uh, I just I was bringing up his former star. Where are you going with it? He played for the Brewers, and I think he also played with the Padres, too. He played for a bunch of teams. Like 26, 2014. Yeah, he bounced around. He was, he was a cup of coffee. He, he, he was a guy that was a, should have been a cup of coffee guy, bounced around. And I think part of it's because who his dad was. I don't know. But still, you but know. He, but he, he, he got six years of service time. Yeah. So if you do one day in major leagues, you get retirement. So good for him. Yep. And um, not only that, he his daughter was – or is, I guess, R&B singer Anisha Nicole. I've never heard of her, but still. I'm unfamiliar. When um, we get done with this podcast, we'll have to ask my girlfriend if she's never heard of her. Apparently, she had a single called No Means No. But she, instead of being um, Anisha Nicole, she was titled Nene Gwynn. And it entered the Billboard charts in 2002, staying on the hot R&B hip-hop singles chart for 19 weeks, reaching number four in April 5th. So she's had some success as a uh, R&B artist, but again, I I, I don't start. Good for her too, though, because I don't think I don't think your dad being Tony Gwynn is going to give you any clout in that area. So if she's getting on charts, that's good for yeah. her. As far as I know, Tony Gwynn couldn't sing. Maybe he could. I don't know, but still, hey, might have been the songwriter's generation. We just don't. Yeah, maybe there's just something that wasn't publicized. <laughs> but that's all I really got to say about Tony Gwynn. I thought we pretty much covered it all. Um, Mr. Padre, the best hitter to ever swing the bat other than maybe best pure hitter. Pure hitter, yeah. I'm not talking power hitter. I'm talking singles, doubles, getting on base, scoring runs. Other than maybe um, 
a guy that's banned from baseball, Tony Gwynn's probably the best baseball player they ever played. You know, mm-hmm. other than Pete Rose. Yeah. He was our generation's Pete Rose. Nah. Yeah, and he didn't gamble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. But anyway. No, I think everyone just covered everything they could about um, Tony Gwynn. Yeah. And as, as always, so we appreciate y'all listening to us. Um, baseball, HIS101 at gmail.com. If y'all like a sense of topic, I don't have any emails um, since the last batch we've done. Um, we do appreciate Matthew's dad suggesting the uh, Max of East Coast Ball Park Tour. Yep. And as always, like, rate, and subscribe because without y'all, we had really good numbers the last couple of weeks, and without y'all, we can't do that. Right. And we also appreciate the gentleman who emailed us the Ricky Henderson suggestion. This. Yeah. I, I apologize if I forgot your name, but we mentioned you on the air during Rick Henderson episode, so thank you very much. Yeah. And of course, if you see us on the street, you can suggest something too. That's cool. But as always, this guy over here is Matthew. Yeah. And I am Patrick. The Wiz Kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. Well, Casey was winning, Hank Aaron was beginning, one Robbie going out, one coming in. Kiner and Midget Goodell, the Thumper and Mel Parnell, and Ike was the only one winning down in Washington. I'm talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball, the man and Bobby Feller, the Scooter, the Barber, and the Duke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey and the Duke. Now my old friend, the bachelor, well he swore he was the Oklahoma kid. And Cookie played hooky to go and see the Duke. And me, I always loved Willie, man, those were the Well, now it's the 80s, and Brett is the greatest, and Bobby Bonds can play for everyone. Rose is at the vet, and Rusty again is a Met, and the great Alexander is pitching again in Washington. I'm talking baseball, like Reggie Quees and Barry, talking baseball, Carew and Gaylord Terry, Siva, Garvey, Schmidt, and by the blue. They'll be with Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. Say hey, say hey, say hey. It was Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. Say hey, say.
walking with